Have you ever felt so lost in your life that your soul feels so empty? Feeling the need to find that purpose and healing? Holy Crave Podcast is for anyone who is starting their journey through self-love or anyone who is embarking holistic healing. Women who need empowerment. Women who don't have a voice. Women who want to jumpstart their journey in reaching their higher self. In each episode, I share bit-size of my story of how I overcame an autoimmune disease and lessons I've learned in my life. We'll talk about how I had to unlearn old thought patterns that's not serving me anymore. Fears I had to acknowledge and overcome one by one. Recognizing my ego's self-limiting beliefs about my full potential and having my mentors along the way who have helped me shift that mindset to tuned in tapped in and turned on to my most authentic self. Hi everyone, welcome back to Holy Grace Podcast. I am so happy that you're here today and super grateful that you're tuning in. In this episode, I have a really special guest who is a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist whose practice is devoted to treating eating disorders and childhood and relational trauma. I love how she calls herself a wounded healer. And that is Jenny Helms for you. I am so fortunate to have her in my channel because in this episode, we covered a lot of things about trauma that I have been questioning throughout my healing journey. I used to think that when people have trauma, it is about this huge and intense event that happened to them, like car accidents or PTSD from soldiers. But Jenny covered a lot of types of traumas that we actually didn't know we've had from our childhood or from toxic parenting that potentially affected our personal development and subconsciously surfaced in our adulthood that is actually affecting the way we cope from stressful events or the way we relate to other people, the way we react, and most especially, the way we treat ourselves. I know there's a lot of stigma when it comes to this topic, but it's also just like being vulnerable. Everyone finds it uncomfortable. But with our guest expertise, she definitely explained how important it is for you to heal these things within. So I invite you to listen with an open heart and may this episode serve you and brings you an awareness that when these things come up, It's time to pay attention to them and heal them now. Welcome, Jenny, to Holy Craze Podcast. I am so honored to have you here today, and I'm really looking forward for this conversation that we're having. To get us started, can you tell us briefly about yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist, and that's basically just jargon for I'm a therapist that works with couples, individuals, and families. So I work with all sorts of different family systems. Um, But yeah, I have been in the field, like the mental health field for about seven years. I am what I would call a wounded healer, which I totally stole from somebody else. So that's not mine, but Mm -hmm. a wounded healer in the sense that, you know, a lot of of my passion for this and the education advocacy comes from a place of having gone through a lot of this myself and having gone through a lot of therapy myself. And so I like sharing a little bit of my journey in so much that it's helpful and kind of being vulnerable in that piece, but also 
helping people connect the dots um, scientifically as well, because I'm kind of a nerd about like, why does this happen this way and how does trauma impact us? So basically my life has been a journey of, of working and healing and being passionate mainly about um, relationship trauma and childhood trauma right. and eating disorders because that has been a part of my own wounded healer journey. Right. To talk about trauma, what is trauma for you with your expertise and how can we approach them in a very holistic way? So I, I love covering like what this is and even in my presentations, I always go through it because I think my definition of it is a little bit more expanded. Mm -hmm. And I'm not here to say that this is like the DSM-5 scientific version, but I found it to be clinically and just in my own life, the most useful de definition that I've found to date. Mm -hmm. And I actually stole it from Dr. Gabor Mate. And he talks about trauma and he differentiates like trauma versus traumatic events. Mm -hmm. And trauma is what happens inside of us as a result of something that occurred in our lives, whether it's like what we would call like a big T trauma event or a little T trauma event that happened consistently or chronically over time, that shifts the way that we see ourselves, the world, and other people or our relationships in a way that is negative or in a way that like we all of a sudden don't trust it or feel like we need to control it or create a rule around it. So it's any sort of experience or event that creates that change inside of us. And I love how he differentiates that because sometimes we can have even big T trauma events and then contextually it will impact one person differently than it would another person. Yeah. So like the event itself isn't necessarily going to create like PTSD or things that you have to yeah. heal in therapy. Um, but I also like it because it helps people think outside of the box, not just like car accidents or divorce or yeah. those things, but those subtle things that happen in childhood, or I'm going to add in what Dan Siegel says, what doesn't happen in childhood that's supposed to. So mm -hmm. like neglect mm -hmm. is also trauma or, you know, not getting some of our emotional needs met is also yeah. trauma, right? And so it's yeah. it's interesting how we always think about it being like this big event that happens to us, but it's really also those subtle things or those family unspoken rules or just these little things that shifted the way that we saw the world around us or ourselves mm -hmm. in ways that were negative. Mm -hmm. And so I know that seems very, I'm like, you know, it's I, hard to pinpoint things, but I think yeah. it's more useful. Yeah, I totally resonate with us from the events that happen to us in a very subtle way or also mm -hmm. the events that we didn't experience during our childhood. Now that you said that, it made me realize more of the things that I didn't experience because I have self-worth issues and that I felt like that rooted from me growing up not having an affirmation or positive reinforcement from my parents. Oh, you did great. And this one, because they were like, from my parents' point of view, tough love is the best love. So, which I don't blame them for doing so, but I felt like that really affected me growing up that I had to find somewhere outside, but not within. I didn't know I had that issue until you just mentioned that. What are the common and healed childhood traumas that surfaces in adulthood? What are the root causes of this traumas and how can we identify them? Yes. So I, I actually wrote some down just so I'd have some structure because I could totally just lift, list off random ones, but I wanted to like 
kind of create structure and put them into different categories. Um, I'll name some. These aren't all that there are, but I'll just say that these are the ones that I've seen really commonly in my own journey and my clients' journeys um, come up over and over again. Um, and it's more so, so let me talk about the behaviors we see first, and then I'll say kind of like the beliefs behind yeah. it and maybe what type of parenting um, could be related to that. So the list is long as far as like the behaviors that we see, um, but I will say it's going to be essentially a person who doesn't have a strong sense of who they are. And so they may really struggle to set boundaries. They may struggle to really show up in different ways, like at work or um, put themselves out there in different positions or situations. Like they may not even go for a job because of those feelings of self-worth, kind of like you described. Um, they may feel, it's, it's interesting, they may feel real exhausted all the time because their brain's constantly kind of in trauma mode or scanning the environment for how people perceive them or just doing things in the background that leave them feeling exhausted, which also robs them of their creativity. Yeah. So like one of the biggest features that I talk about with people as far as like, you know, doing this healing journey is I really love helping people figure out who they are and, and letting go and healing from trauma because they find that they're like just so much more creative and putting themselves out in the world in different ways that they were kind of hiding from before or didn't even know existed. So it just kind of opens up your brain to be more you, so to speak. And you can show up more like yourself in relationships um, without being afraid that people won't like you or accept you. Sometimes it shows up too and people overdoing it. So we also see what we would call like issues of over control where people try to do so many things and they try to be perfect and like perfectionism, yeah. right? Like they want, they want to get everything right because they're trying to avoid the feeling of inadequacy or the pain of rejection or different things that, you know, for them, they don't know how to process life or feel good enough just being who they are. So they're constantly trying to like achieve their way there or do things perfectly or overdo all the things. Um, it could show up in impulsivity um, mm -hmm. and it could show up in, as being addiction or eating disorders or all sorts of different ways. And in just noticing a pattern in your life of maybe not having the healthiest relationships whether they just end up being short because you're not really like, you could be avoidant and never deal with stuff and kind of end relationships, you know, whenever anything comes up. Or you might notice that you have like a slew of like roller coaster relationships or find yourself choosing partners who are abusive or emotionally unavailable. Um, those sorts of things. Those are like the subtle ways that it kind of behaviorally will show up in our lives. And then a lot of the thoughts behind it that people struggle with are things like, I feel worthless, or I can't do things without the help of another person. I feel powerless. I can't trust myself, or I can't trust my own perceptions. Um, I don't feel good enough, or I, I don't know what even good enough means. Yeah. Um, I'm not acceptable or lovable. I don't matter. I'm invisible. It's a lot of those different, like, again, those self beliefs and also beliefs about the world. Like, you know, I can never trust that anything good lasts or mm. I have no control over life or what happens to me. 
Um, I'm to blame for all the pain I feel or all of my problems, or I'm not to blame for any of my problems or anything that happens in the world. Um, or the only time I feel good about myself is when I'm doing good thing, things for others or giving to others. Um, I can't be assertive because others won't like me if I am. I should never tell anybody when I feel hurt, disappointed, or sad because I'll just ruin the mood or they won't care. You know, it's all these different beliefs that might bubble up. And again, those impact the way that we treat ourselves and relate to ourselves and relationships and the world around us. Um, and so I'm going to briefly go into the different types of like parenting styles that might create this. The parenting styles you might see are a parent who, um, if they kind of abandon a child, whether it be physically or emotionally. So when we say abandon, it could be by death. Um, it could be by divorce and just like child custody issues. It could be by the fact that like emotionally, they're so exhausted with work or they don't know how to emotionally be there for their kiddo wow. that they're just not there. Right. And so it's like, it looks like a bunch of different things, but sometimes people can struggle with the belief that they're not worth worthwhile. Like they struggle to feel worth something um, when they have that type of parent. Also, if a parent's more smothering or micromanaging or mm -hmm. overly controlling, um, a kiddo might believe or grow up to be a, an adult that believes that they can't do things on their own or that they are powerless or that they can't really trust themselves. Um, if you have a parent who's super critical or like vicariously living through you or, or want, wants you to do your best, which again, I think the intention is so good of all these parents, honestly, is usually the intention is usually good, but that can create an adult that doesn't ever feel good enough, um, and doesn't feel lovable or acceptable as they are and probably the overachieving or the over control issues over here that I described earlier. Also, if, uh, the, you know, we see parents that also struggle to separate themselves from their kiddos and might um, parentify their kiddos and use them for their emotional needs. And in that, usually the kiddo grows up to not really recognize or validate their own needs mm -hmm. and almost gets their self-worth usually from trying to help other people and fulfill right. their needs and having that kind of lens. Basically, there's a lot of different ways this cookie can crumble. Um, yes. But yeah, you might resonate with a couple. I mean, I know even in my own childhood, I definitely resonated with a couple of these. Yeah, going back to what you said, because I, growing up, I had to like please my parents that I was overachiever. Like I tend to like, I have to make sure I have to ace this test all the time or else they won't, I won't feel loved or I won't feel good enough for them or in the looks of my parents, or I would feel that judgment that I am not smart enough. So I totally resonate with that because now that I think about it, I'm a recovered perfectionist because I tend to really beat myself so hard from not you know, meeting that specific goal because of that mindset during my childhood. For me, for, for someone who wants to like break that cycle of, you know, like parenting and who just had baby right now, like they just wanted to like raise their kids and not to feel the same way as what they've had. How can they identify from being a toxic parent to 
to raise their kids in a better way? How do, how can they like do that? I would say first things first, the fact, the fact that you're asking that question or Mm -hmm. someone is listening to this podcast and is even interested in that information, that's step one. Like that's already like, you're already changing things, right? Like knowing things that your parents didn't know, having a curiosity about that. Because often our parents are are responding to the intergenerational stuff that they got from their Mm. parents as well, right? And their culture and all of that, like they, and so even just asking that question of like, how can I do this better? How can we, how can we heal some of this is like already an amazing step, right? So I just want to say that that's like, kudos kudos for that. Yeah. (laughs) And I know that sounds silly, but like, it's a really big deal. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would look into is, is figuring out, you know, what were the things, what were the beliefs that, and the rules that they implemented that I like and agree with still? And what, what are the things that I wanted to heal still, or still want to heal? Because sometimes we could either emulate what our parents do and end up doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Or more often what I see is like, if we don't go to therapy and do the work is like an overcorrection where we'll swing from one side to the other. And then that will be kind of like its own toxic parenting because it's the extremes on the other end, right? It's maybe not over controlling, but it's, it may be like laissez faire and like the kid may not feel any sort of structure or boundaries or may not feel like the parent, um, is as like caring for them or may feel like they have to set their own rules and things like that. So it's really interesting how it's, it's not about swinging to the opposite end of the pendulum because that itself could just be reactionary, right. but figuring out the ways that we can be more balanced. And honestly, the biggest way to do that is to heal our own stuff. Right. Exactly. Because is- often like all of these different parenting styles those happen when a parent's trying to get their emotional needs met through the family or they're dealing with unresolved stuff of their own through like family stuff or like through their kiddos. And that's, that's why these styles develop in the first place. So I'm like, really, it just starts with us working on our unhealed mm-hmm. trauma and our own narratives and building our own self-worth mm-hmm. because we cannot give to our children what we cannot give to ourselves. We have to heal that first. And then, and I'm like, and then you can, you're just going to be embodying a different type of parent. Like you could tell your kiddo all day, you are worthwhile. But if you don't feel like you are worthwhile, it's not going to fully resonate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I love that because I felt the same way with my relationship. I can't love you enough if I myself I don't love myself because I went through a lot of self love journey for the past three years ever since I started recovering from autoimmune disease. So Mm -hmm. it's diving deeper into shadow work, inner work, and like really dug deep through my traumas that I didn't know I had. And it reflected through my relationship, not only with my partner, but with my friends and family. And I tend to isolate myself because I felt like I'm not ready enough to mingle with anybody because I feel so 
I feel so wounded. What is your advice for people who are, let's say, just grieving from their old self and trying to transition and heal more from their traumas? How can they, how can they open up to people that they're going through this without feeling ashamed of what they've been through? Yeah. Well, I think it's first sitting with ourselves and saying like, and giving ourselves permission to have been imperfect, right? Permission to have been wounded, permission to have been what we were, right? Because I think some, what I've seen too for some people is they talk about like their teenage self, for instance, like say they behaved in ways from their trauma that they're like ashamed of they almost like disconnect from that part of them. And they're like, ugh, that part of me that like sexually acted out or did this or whatever. And it's like, but that part was just, it was trying to survive stuff, right? And really having like empathy and and curiosity, right? Because I think that that's our true self is we're we're able to step back from all the, the stuff and really get curious about that part and say, maybe what, what was that part trying to do? Or how was that part trying to help us, right? How is it trying to survive that time in our lives? And yes, maybe we don't want to do that thing forever. Like that's not the most effective way to move in the world or really who we are, but to acknowledge that that had its own purpose and role at that time and like giving ourselves grace for that because we really didn't know any better. Like I really do think we are all trying to figure stuff out and, and heal and handle it in the ways that we're capable of. Mm -hmm. And so to just give ourselves the grace and recognition that like that part of us had its purpose. And yeah, I think with opening up to other people, you know, I think that takes time sometimes. And I think it also takes first, like, again, being able to sit with our own parts, but then finding people in our lives that we can trust and are emotionally safe. Because I I talk about like, I do think vulnerability is good, but when it comes to, you know, sharing things, especially for like, Hey, I'm not cool with the masses knowing about this. Like we really have to find people that we feel emotionally safe with. And, and typically that would be a person that, you know, is, has what we would call the traits of trustworthiness, where they have good boundaries, they respect your boundaries, they actually listen versus trying to just fix it. Um, especially if you ask, like sometimes people immediately go into fix it mode by default, but if you ask them to just hold space for you, that they're able to do that, that they don't share your stuff with other people, um, that they are honest about themselves and willing to be vulnerable too. Like all of these features of like finding a person who's like earned the right to hear your story. Right. right. Speaking of boundaries, I also still working on setting healthy boundaries with people when it comes to family as well, other than friends, how can we set that healthy boundaries without hurting them or offending anybody? We have zero control out, out like from what, how they respond to our boundaries. Like if they get hurt or if they feel hurt, if they feel offended, like we can't control that. Like some, like I, I swear you could say it like mother Teresa or Oprah or Jesus or insert some figure you feel like would be like loving and wonderful. And people will still be offended by your boundaries. And that's, I think the hardest part is like, we, and especially if you're like a recovering perfectionist or people pleaser, it's like, it is so hard to let people be in their own stuff and be in their own reaction and be angry or be hurt or be upset. 
but I would honestly expect it. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm like, first things first, expect resistance, expect people to be upset or offended or hurt and know that none of that has to do with you. Because if we're setting a boundary with somebody, I mean, as long as it's not a boundary that's actually impinging on someone else's boundaries, right? And their safety. I mean, obviously there's a big difference between those two things. But Mm -hmm. if you are simply expressing a boundary that's important to you, no healthy, happy person is going to look at you and be like, excuse you. Like, no, they're not going to be like offended or hurt. They're going to be, you know, maybe they might be a little curious, but for the most part, they won't need an explanation. They'll just like, yeah, like, of course, thank you for telling me. Right. But the problem is if, if they're not used to you setting boundaries, it may be hard for them at first. And it's hard, honestly, for any family system, like even good change is hard. Mm -hmm. So they might be offended at first. And then over time, like you'll notice how they, they let it, they let it go more and they're okay with it. The more you're consistent and the more that you're like, still going to do this thing. This is still important to me or this, is, you know, and, and just kind of, I know that sucks. Like I just, you know, kind of embrace the suckage because it will like to build your tolerance for letting them being upset with you mm. or for letting them be, be offended. Or I know this may not be the best way to phrase it all the time, but sometimes I tell my clients, like, let them be wrong. Like, I know we want them to understand us. I know we want them to see us as we are. I know we want them to get that we're coming from a good place, mm-hmm. but they can't in that moment. And there's nothing we can do to change that. So we have to let them be wrong. Right. right? Cause they're going through their own journey of figuring stuff out. And typically people in that moment aren't ready to face their own stuff or whatever's coming up for them. Mm-hmm. And so we have to let them sit in their own stew for them to maybe at some point face that. But again, that's not up to us. That's their journey. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would offend someone if I prioritize my well-being. But now that I know that I have to really work on myself more than giving on to people's judgment and fear of rejection, I feel like that is such a good way to think of it as it's okay to think that they're wrong and, and they would react most likely in, in a way that you won't like. So it's just like sit into that and eventually they will let it go. I love that. I love that. I'm yeah. still really working on that part to just let go that they will for sure not be pleased in the beginning. For someone who is signs and symptoms that I'm really looking into, cause like for me, I went through this inner child healing. I don't know if you know about this one because it's in a in a spiritual coach that I work with. So with her um, with her pattern of um, doing this meditation, I went back to this traumatic event that I forgot. So I t- I didn't know that I regressed to that event where I saw myself fighting with this kid. I think I was seven years old back then. And that rooted my issues from being overly coverted or, or just too defensive with everyone that I, I, I interact with. So what are the signs and symptoms that you could tell for people, like let's say with me at my age, their childhood traumas that is reflecting during their adulthood? 
like how can they identify it so they know yeah. how to like address it right now which is important <laughs> yeah. yes well it's it's really tricky because our brains are so good at kind of creating stories for us so we don't see the truth about like the different ways that we aren't um living in the world that's in alignment with like how we think we're living or how we want to live right and so there's this really good ted talk that i'll recommend it's called honest lies um and it's really good and it kind of goes into the science of this but essentially most of the time people when they actually identify it it's just different ways in their lives where it's like i want to do this thing and i feel like this is truly who i am but then they don't do it and consistently over time it's like no matter what happens like they're not able to do the thing or they're not able to not do something that they feel like shame about, or they feel like it's a bad behavior, like addictions or um, eating disorders or different things like that. Um, it's really just the ways that we are in alignment with ourselves. So like, for instance, like even for you, that defensive stance, yeah. like that's not truly who you are at your core, right? Like you have this loving nature. I can already, like, you know what I mean? I can <laughs> kind of connect those dots that you are very loving. And if you're a people pleaser, definitely, um, or if you have any roots in that, that is typically rooted at, in loving people, even though it's not really like healthy love, it's, but the intention is love. And so I'm like, well, the defensive nature, right? If you're always kind of trying to protect yourself and like, mm -hmm. um, not able to really step into things or let yourself be with people, mm -hmm. that's totally against that nature that you have that true nature of you that is loving, right? So that's a way that obviously there's something that happened along the way where you're like, yes, I want to be loving in nature, but it is too risky not to be defensive, right? right? It's too risky. So I'm not going to be able to be how I really resonate in the world because there's something, some fear or something that's risky about doing that. So I behave in a different way. Right. right. And that's kind of like those moments where you're like, I'm doing this, but this is who I feel like I really am. Yeah. Like those are those moments where it's like, that is likely rooted in some sort of trauma or some experience that at some point, like changed the rules for how we were going to live. So we basically react towards things that are not us, but innately rooted from our past traumas. So speaking of that reaction, I want to know why do people socially accept things in coping with these traumas in adulthood like drinking or having some substance abuse, which are so unhealthy in nature, but they tend to make it so acceptable that it hinders or stops them from healing and numbing them from the pain that they're supposed to feel and address at that time. Well, I mean, it's, it's so easy, I think, for people in our culture to numb things. And I think they get so used to doing it that they don't even know pain is there. Like, you know what I mean? Like they get so used to it that that story, like I was saying that those honest lies our brain tells ourselves, like we create the story that it's like, no, I'm just a social drinker. No, yeah. I just really like wine or, oh, I'm just really this, or I just really love cookies. Like, and again, I'm not demonizing cookies, but if you're having like sweets every day, all day, like that might be a numbing behavior, right? Or if you're emotionally abusing food or the opposite, restricting food, um, you know, any of those features where we just get so used to it that we can explain away those behaviors in our brain mm -hmm. because 
who wants to be like, oh yeah, this is trauma, right? Like who wants to be yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> right? And so it's much easier to like, especially the things that are socially acceptable. Like I do think alcohol and certain things that we do have become more and more socially acceptable, yeah. but also the ways that people find to connect. Like if they've had trauma and they struggle with connection because of their trauma, but then they can connect when they're drinking. Like it's also, it's like both things, right? So it makes it even harder for them to differentiate yeah. because they might feel like anxiety and stuff come up from their trauma when they're not drinking, when they're around people that are drinking. Yeah. So it's like a really, it's just like a, it's a complex phenomenon, but I think it's just so biochemically, like our bodies are so it's easily addicted, but also like the process itself, like we've gotten used to numbing and feeling mm -hmm. is hard, especially if we've never been taught how to feel and process emotions. Yeah. Why the heck are we going to try to feel our emotions? Like that shit is not like, yeah. <laughs> we can't do that. Like, <laughs> Right. So I, I understand it on a very logical um, level, but then people, yeah, they don't realize how it's impacting other areas. I can definitely see why people use substances to numb their pain. It's because they don't know how to relate within themselves or just process those emotions. For my experience, I really know for a fact the powerful way to release those emotions just through journaling and having that self-awareness, recognizing that emotion that is okay to feel that will help you to get out of that emotions. My question is, why is that there's so much stigma about being vulnerable and showing this emotion and it becomes a form of weakness instead of strength? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that has more like historical context at some point where like I think culturally that probably came about and I'm just making a guesstimate based on what I've read and like just what I kind of see big picture mm -hmm. so war is really messed up right like we know that like I know that's like a silly thing to say but like yeah. when we had wars back in the day and the great depression at least in America like I'm just thinking about the American culture and I'm sure and I, I bet like we could go into your culture as well and there would be wars and yes. things that happen yeah and when that kind of culture is happening there are generations of people that did not have the luxury of like processing their emotions and dealing with stuff because they were like on Maslow's hierarchy they were on like I just need to get my food right. my water and like make sure my kids are fed and that I have a home over my head or in war it's even worse it's like I need to make sure I'm not blown up today like it's you know what I mean like that is like a totally different type of world and environment and trauma where the brain adapts by not feeling and not feeling is resilience right so in a way, like it kind of makes sense because the brain is actually like, again, with horrible environment, the brain adapts. And that is a great thing because if we felt all those things, we wouldn't literally, you could yeah. feel too much and die. Like that's a thing. Yeah. So it's resilience for the brain to do that. And think about generations of people healing from that and passing that on to their kids. Like I think generationally, they did not know how to feel. And in fact, feeling was bad for them because of their stuff. But then as things got better, their kids had these parents that didn't know how to feel or couldn't show them how to do that. 
and they picked up on that and then they passed it down to their kids and and it was just like generationally until somebody was able to heal that trauma or do their own work or it manifested in alcoholism or an eating disorder or great like major depression or something else like that just kept getting passed down and so I think we're still healing from that like I think our like we're I guess knock on wood we've been lucky enough to not have to live in a world of war or like a world of can I have a roof over my head so like we've been able to feel and deal with things and do things that I think we were meant to as humans before things like major wars and major um, poverty and famine happened yeah so I think it's more systemic in that way intergenerationally but also like I think to come to terms with it it has to be compelling enough for you to be like I want to live life on my terms and not my trauma's terms, right? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like until we actually deal with that stuff and feel it, mm-hmm. we are li- we don't know what life would really be or like who we would be or how creative we would be or the cool things we'd be bringing to the world until we heal that stuff. And even in like, so I'll take, for example, my own journey. So I had a really bad eating disorder in high school. And when I was in the throes of it, all I did was organize my life around food, exercising, um, what people thought of me and like people pleasing. Like that's what my brain organized its world around. Mm-hmm. And until I healed the stuff that I needed to, so I could let those other pieces go and they no longer served me, mm-hmm. that was, that was it. And I, you know, I would never have been able to tap into the other creative things that I love now in my life. And like, mm-hmm be able to be healthy in relationships and tap into, I like doing music stuff and I like doing the therapy stuff. And I, I have all these different passions and interests now. And I feel like I'm just living life on my terms and not stuck in this mindset that keeps me from being who I really am. Right. And I think until people really are like, get to a point where like, it's painful enough, or I just want to see who I'd be if I weren't in my own way, like, then they're going to be stuck. So yeah. And I was, to be fair, I was totally forced into therapy. I did not walk in voluntarily. They forced me. Yeah. (laughs) And I was even almost kicked out my first session. Like my therapist was like, okay, if you're going to waste my time, there's the door. And I, which was good. It was actually really good. It was exactly the kick in the butt that I needed. I mean, I give kudos to people that do it on their own terms because I'm like you are like resilient because I don't think I would have done it on my own terms until like my 20s yeah I was a pain in the behind as a teenager so getting into that was like yeah its own journey so I really respect people that do it on their own terms without like being forced into it but I feel like you eventually came into it which brought you to who you are today, and now you're helping so much people to like break from that cycle and heal them, which is, I am so grateful as well. So you touched me and that is how it is. I feel like that was your path. It was meant to be. You were, I'm so grateful that you shared that because I feel like at some point I also have some buddy image issues, but I overcome that part ever since I was just journaling a lot, my thoughts. And I, every time I feel like my ego was telling me something else that is not, 
in alignment with what I want to feel, which is to feel love and to feel good about myself, I would journal it out. And I would say that this is a false perception of my ego telling me, and this is not what I want to feel. I want to feel love. And I pray, I pray to just really take in that guidance to transmute this feeling into love all the time. So I feel like that really helped me a lot in loving my body as is. So thank you for sharing that. What is your biggest advice during your 21-year-old self? (laughs) My 21-year-old self. That's a great question because I actually was thinking about this the other day. Somebody had a post on Facebook and and it was like three words you could tell your 18-year-old self. So it's kind of a similar thing. Um, So the three words I chose was lean into anxiety. And so for me, that would have been more of like, hey, lean into the discomfort, lean into like feeling stuff and working through that stuff. Because my nature is to avoid pain, to numb it to in different ways. But I typically do it in like the if I just achieve and if I just make myself super busy and if I'm just perfect or whatever, that's like how I try to numb pain. And so I think it'd be just like lean into messiness, lean into anxiety. Um, Cause for me, it was like, I just needed to give myself permission to be imperfect and to feel um, and know that like on the other side, it was going to be okay. Wow, I love that. I love how you said lean into the anxiety and give yourself permission to be imperfect. Thank you so much, Jenny. For everyone who wants to connect with you, um, where can they find you in social media? So my TikTok is uh, Jenny Ann Helms. It's J-E-N-N-Y-A-N-N-H-E-L-M-S. So that's, I mean, if you just look me up on Instagram or TikTok or even YouTube, you could probably find me. And that's probably the best way to connect with me. I have some other things in the works as far as trying to make like therapy more accessible through like maybe group therapy or some other things. I haven't fully finished it yet, but if you want to keep track with that, just um, connect with me on social media and I'll make sure to try to spread the word once I have that available. So that sounds exciting. Thank you so much again for this opportunity to have you in my channel. I really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. I appreciate you so much. Took a lot from Jenny. Her expertise and everything that I really asked about traumas with her gave me so much clarity. And now moving forward, I know how to handle these things when they come up. And I hope it will be the same way for you guys. And if you love this episode, please rate and subscribe and most importantly give me your feedback share it to your story and tag me or jenny follow her on instagram all of her social media handles are going to be on the description box below and follow me as well on instagram which is for my podcast and for my personal where i share most of my day-to-day basis again i'm always thankful for your time i really hope you have a great day after this And I'm so happy that you listened and tuned in. Gratefully, pray.